Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and you're listening to Talking CFD with Robin Knowles. It's kind of like my show, but for CFD nerds, prepare to ignite. Hey there, CFDDOs. Welcome back to another episode of Talking CFD. Uh, this one's a little bit different, though. This is the start of a new series where I talk to CFD practitioners from different industries to find out what CFD looks like for them. So I'm hoping that we can get a bit of a flavour of what's going on in different sectors because I know that my CFD probably looks different to your CFD, which looks different to today's guest CFD. And we're not going to go super deep, but it would be nice if you left this interview with either, wow, those guys have it super easy. I wish my CFD was that straightforward. Or, wow, I'm glad I don't have to do that every day. Um, and with all that said, let's get on with it, because uh, today's guest is Stefano Capra, who works for civil engineering giants Ramble in Copenhagen, and we are talking CFD in the built environment. Welcome to the show, Stefano. Hi, Robin. Thank you very much for having me. No worries. Did I get the intro right? How would you describe what you do in a couple of sentences? Uh, it's fairly accurate. As you said, I'm part of a team within Rumble that is specialized in using CFD to tackle complex engineering problems across the different industries, really. We, we span from uh, oil and gas to, you know, offshore structures, uh, you name it. But mostly, I'm focusing on the build environment and running CFD simulation of a quite a variety of, on a quite a variety of different uh, topics, trying to help the clients get safe and hopefully uh, optimize solutions as much as possible, at least. And you've been doing that for a little while, have you? Yeah, it's uh, more than eight years now. So always in the same sector, which is turned out to be extremely interesting and quite uh, diverse. I mean, we get to see a lot of different things on a daily basis, which is makes it actually super interesting. So if I'm to take my LinkedIn feed as the prime example, I'm guessing that built environment CFD is just pedestrian comfort simulation all day long. Is that right? Uh, not really. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, we get a lot of pedestrian level win. And it's a topic that is uh, the popularity of this topic is increasing uh, on a daily basis simply because uh, CFD is kind of like being used more and more and it's sort of like the breakthrough for us and for our industry into also codes and regulations. Now, like uh, some municipalities start to accept CFD as one of the tools to, to do pedestrian level wind. But when you work, when you start working in, in this field, you'll get requests that are quite uh, different from one from the other. You can get, you know, yes, the usual pedestrian level wind, but someone can ask you, okay, how about outdoor thermal comfort or indoor thermal comfort, pollutant dispersion, dust dispersion, wind-driven rain, fire simulations, trying to make sure that the smoke management system is, is well designed and people have enough time to evacuate a building or a parking lot. So uh, there's quite a lot of, different topics really uh, and and like another one could be for example wind loading i mean that is quite uh, it's quite diverse and yes we do a lot of production level wind but it's not the only thing it sounds like a lot of that is fairly early stage 
in the design and uh, so it's a, it sounds like a bit of a design tool but you say it's um, cfds still being integrated into various areas so have you got a favorite area but particularly challenging area that we can focus on yeah i would say that at least for me the the holy grail is, is wind loading i mean it's probably the most complex things uh, i think i'm looking at at the moment both when it comes to numerics and, and physics involved and i think it's is something that is extremely interesting and it would be the next step for us what we would love all to be able to do in in the future in an accurate way so when you say wind loaded what what is it you mean by that well generally people tend to use wind tunnels to get data about uh, the typical wind loading acting acting on the structure which might be i don't know facade loads and to do that people generally use pressure tops on the surface of the building or you can use high frequency force balances to get the response of the overall building itself and um, basically things like that so wind induced loading and usually and i mean historically wind tunnel is the way to go and as people have been doing that for for ages for probably more than 40 or even 50 years in some cases and it's obviously it's something that will be probably done in the wind tunnel for a very long time but i feel that uh, we now are mature enough and and, uh, clusters and hpc systems are fast enough for us to be able to build digital a digital version of it that can be useful you mentioned the word response and high frequency. So does that mean we're talking about unsteady loading? Yes. So the physics involved are quite interesting. So while you mentioned before, for example, pedestrian level wind is often, not always, but often tackled with steady state simulations. Uh, actually, for wind loading, you have to go to, to a transient simulation. You really have to switch to transient and uh, it's crucial to try to resolve the proper inflow in the correct way so the spectra of the incoming flow and make sure that you have uh, vortices that have uh, the right shape the right frequency distribution and and try to make sure that really you capture uh, the spectra response correct and not just for example the the average uh, overtoning moments or, or the average pressure distribution. We are really after you know fluctuations of pressure on the facade. We are after uh, response of the building uh, when it's subjected to excitations at particular frequencies. So a lot of things you know starts to become really really interesting. You need to be aware of numerical dissipations. You need to be aware of a lot of things that generally you wouldn't think we have to tackle in the building industry. It sounds like you were talking about wildly different scales as well. I mean, I'm I'm guessing we're talking about huge, great skyscrapers and the like, but then we're also talking about tiny spectra. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's correct. I mean, obviously, we'll uh, we won't resolve it all the way down, and we really care about the main structural mode. But still, you have to resolve enough of the flow to make sure that the results that you have are accurate enough. And this is something that is, is quite interesting for me because it's uh, it's kind of like a new topic, a new field. And uh, and uh, you see a lot of people mentioning pedestrian level wind and mentioning other things that are done steady state. And then, you know, sometimes we there is this, uh, you know, misleading assumption that the same approach can be used across the industry. 
but actually there are topics like uh, wind loading where it's really crucial to, to you know take it to the next step and, and try to do something a little bit fancier yeah are we talking about um, fancy techniques then as well or are they solvers and techniques that we'd all recognize are they fvm solvers that sort of thing yeah there's uh, there's actually uh, some interesting trends coming up at the moment i mean i'm i'm mostly working with uh, f fvm solvers and i'm i'm mostly using uh, an open form uh, based code um, i generally use the ngcelix version but i mean it's a you know generic fvm code and obviously they have a huge uh, huge upside which is they've been massively validated and we know exactly what they do and how they behave across different uh, when subjected to different you know problems and with how do they react to the different settings but there are also you know shortcomings when especially for example if you try to simulate a wind tunnel and you artificially generate a lot of vortices upstream to simulate the atmospheric boundary layer and then you wish to propagate those vortices up to 20 meters downstream where your scale <laughs> model of the building is reducing numerical dissipation then probably you know is most it's not the most efficient way to do it and then then other you know new things come up to mind like high order schemes or very fast solvers that maybe run on gpu where maybe we could increase the resolution and still make the simulation acceptable when it comes to turnaround time so that's you know that's a lot of interesting things coming up and i think uh, personally i'm following these two mainstreams obviously on top of the development on the fem codes uh, lbm solvers or anyway anything gpu based would be interesting in the future in my opinion and high order scheme solvers well before before we get too far into the future i've got i've got a bit of a hopefully this doesn't sound like a too crazy a question but in general are you kind of chasing accuracy or are you chasing direction if you know what i mean yes i see what you mean so again it really depends on on the problem we are tackling so if we are dealing with something that is very early stage which is where we are hoping to use cfd the most to be honest also you know incremental changes and improvements are something that we really are uh, looking for so that is a way in which we could use it but at the same time we want to make sure that we get an overall reasonable accuracy because i always uh, preached someone else quote that i heard at the uni that was like it's very difficult to get the gradients right if you get the, the main points wrong obviously accuracy is something that we decide on based on the stage of the project how, how deep we want to go into uh, resolving all the different scales but it's it's obviously something always important so when we talk about early stage this is kind of early stage it's way way before construction or anything like that Hopefully, yes. I mean, <laughs> this is how it should be done, yes. So most of the time, uh, you would see, for example, you mentioned pedestrian level wind simulations, you would see those done uh, during, you know, when you're asking for planning permission, basically. And in that case, for example, you have to prove that you're not causing any notions or, or like safety issues at pedestrian level. So that is very early stage. 
And there are instances where, for example, for pollutant dispersion, we might even look at scenarios that try to tackle conditions that might happen in 20 years even, you know. So um, we really look also sometimes very far down the line. But also there are other simulations that sometimes you run when the building is being constructed. For example, that's the case often with fire simulations and, and you know, smoke management systems because you generally try to validate a, a strategy that has been already designed by a fire engineer and just want to make sure that everything is working as is. He has envisioned. Oh, so you can't really do that until everything's sort of in place and, and- yes. And that's that's one of the examples where really, I mean, we have an advantage because people won't burn down buildings that often to see if that works. So no, that no. that is one thing that where I mean, CFD is used massively in our industry. Makes perfect sense that somebody's not going to want to do that. Yeah, you mentioned the wind tunnel quite a few times. Um, I take it that is that's is that the main tool for for doing these wind loading simulations or for wind loading tests or does it go hand in hand with the CFD at the moment? At the moment it's definitely the main tool at least for wind loading. For pedestrian level wind a lot of people are proposing to use CFD more and more even though the suggestion I think still stands that if the building is fairly high most likely authorities will request both studies but generally I would say it's still the go-to facility it would still be the wind tunnel and probably will be you know for for some years to come but i still feel that uh, the digital approach and the digital version of of a wind tunnel is something we should work on because it's showing a lot of a lot of potential and the the, the results we we are getting are, are quite accurate and, and comparable with the wind tunnel and uh, at the moment it seems like the, the only limitation is really cost in running the simulations and speed. So it's, it's, it's a very you know, reasonable and nice place to be because hopefully uh, computational power will become cheaper and we'll, get, we'll be able to access more cores and, and increase the speed of our simulations in the future. So if, if the only limitation is that, we are probably in, in a good place. So do you find yourself chasing the wind tunnel results most of the time or are you doing something that's different to what they do in the tunnel to try and augment the tunnel results rather than just replicate them? At the moment, we, we've done a massive work in validating all our settings and our like setup versus uh, wind tunnel test and actually multiple wind tunnel testing. But in the future, we really hope to be able to work, you know, hand in hand with them. So like uh, maybe, I mean, my in the ideal scenario, I would love to use CFD very early stage to go through a lot of iteration, do all the preliminary optimization and then go and still use the wind tunnel later on and later stages. Because there are things, for example, that I feel, uh, for example, aeroelastic models within the tunnel is something that they will be able to do in a cheaper and more efficient way for a very long time. But the other things that we could do very quickly and, and very early, I think they, they will have a massive benefit and add a lot of value to the project. So as you go through that kind of validation process, are you, are you getting pushback from people who've spent their working career working with wind tunnel models who are not accustomed to, to these digital techniques? 
I, th- I think it's, it's fair to say that you get a little bit of everything, like always in life. I mean, some people are very interested in it and, and some others are a little bit more, you know, uh, I would, skeptical. I think that's that's the right word. But I, I would say that all the time, if, if you have a nice chat with everybody involved in the field and you show what you're up to and they kind of like, uh, you know, make sure and understand what you're trying to do, and that you're not really trying to replace them 100%, but actually, as we said before, work alongside them to make sure we get the most efficient building possible in the cheapest way possible. I think everybody understands the benefit of that. I think what is not helping the industry at the moment is a lot of bold claims that you see around that are not really backed up by, by facts tests and numbers and i think that doesn't help us overall as a community and you know that is what is sometimes is causing a little bit of issues and make uh, makes the experimental guys going like oh you'll never be able to to do what we do but i think the the overall attitude is changing massively and and it, it, in a good way for us is cfd positioned within the design cycle such that it can have a, a sort of direct impact on the design. Are you testing sort of other people's designs and making sure they're not terrible or are you actively being able to improve things or maybe have an impact on the, the bottom line of the project? Well, I mean, for example, I, I can give you a few examples. Like for if you test a pedestrian comfort, typical pedestrian level wind study, for example, we, you would be able straight away to figure out what might be causing issues and before you are too far down the line try a few mitigation strategies and suggest them straight away so they get incorporated in the design in the project itself and maybe the designer the architect can actually work together with the engineer in order to make sure that they don't look like something that was added later on because there was an issue but it's kind of like i mean it all sits together in a nicer way a more coherent way oh yeah so that that could be one thing and and the other thing is i don't know for example if you look at, at wind loading again and i don't know you have a team of engineers designing the whole structure primary secondary and and you wait a little bit too long before going to the wind tunnel it might be that your original sizing that you've done most of the time comes out of the code and is massively over predicting the loads it, it turns out you know after the wind tunnel testing that you were actually exactly yeah massively over predicting the loads so you start changing things but then maybe you know the hvac engineer is already starting laying down uh, their system, their ducting based on the secondary structure that the guys have designed already. So, you know, if if you change something down the line, a lot of people have to redo their work. Not popular. Yeah, what we are trying to do is to make sure that we go to the wind tunnel testing and the experimental testing with an idea of a overall load and and, uh, and and like condition that is not far off to what we will get from the experimental testing. It sounds a little bit like you're in the in the sort of sweet spot where you can actually have an impact on quite a few different things, but also probably I would have thought with the the budgets involved in some of these buildings that you could be responsible for major savings if you do your job right. Yeah, I think I mean uh, it's actually uh, something that is coming up a lot right now because sometimes you know 
uh, buildings are a little bit different compared to cars and, and planes, in my opinion, because the extra weight we don't carry it around every time we try to go somewhere like a plane does or a car does. Yeah. So in general, in the industry, historically, extra weight has been seen as a, you know, uh, capital cost but then it's not that bad after all it's safer it helps in, in a lot of ways so if you have the money why not but actually there's a lot of things that come with that on top of money also sustainability it's it requires massive amount of co2 to produce steel i mean it's so if you start saving tons of steel i mean we could be talking million dollar savings for for a building and a lot of co2 saved so i mean that's a lot that goes on with it and and uh, i think it's something that the wind tunnel guys are raising more and more at the moment but uh, i feel that if you were to use cfd early on you would be able to save even more and you would be able to do it also for way more buildings because another thing is some of the buildings don't even get to go to the wind tunnel because they they are just designed using the code so if we have a system that is is relatively cheap to run and and fairly accurate we could prove the benefit of actually having a final wind tunnel testing and and uh, a benefit of optimizing the structure saving a lot of money even the same building in a different location is essentially a bespoke situation is that is everything a bespoke model yeah i mean the, and we we see that a lot also in uh, when you work on the workflow because you rarely get the same input from the designers we get to work with any format uh, possible and existent on, on earth when it comes to cad and <laughs> um, sometimes you even get cad models that are done for rendering so you have oh nice coins in the in the cash deals and all that kind of stuff so it's uh, uh all the workflows are there and we are trying to to optimize them as much as possible but there is or there will always be a small aspect of uniqueness into each single project you know so is that where a lot of your concentration is your your attention around building a, a process so although the buildings are essentially geometrically bespoke the actual process of what you're doing is is very similar every time so you're trying to make that as as slick as possible yes that's that's the idea part is that and part is to try to expand the areas where we can actually uh, make an impact one thing for example i'm looking at the moment is to you know predict outdoor thermal comfort in particular after all the these massive heat waves that have hit europe and probably will continue to do in the next in the years to come you know try to use cfd coupled with other tools that we wrote in house to predict uh, for example outdoor felt temperature and over the year and try to see if mitigation strategies like using grass, trees, uh, water features, how much they can help and how much they can actually improve the conditions. So it's, it's the developing workflows or improving workflows that we already have. So it's like trying to, to do something new but, and at the same time improve what you're doing already. I should have asked earlier on really, what, I mean, what, sort of sizes of buildings and models and you know sort of how big is it physically but how big is how big is a cfd model and how long do they take to run and that sort of thing yeah so i mean a typical steady state model can range from like 30 to 100 120 150 million easily and and that that's it i mean that's the 
you know ballpark figure you have extremes yeah yeah and uh it doesn't take long to run depending on the solver you're using and how you mesh it but it's like it's in our in-house system we have at the moment roughly access to about 600 cores so we can we can run it fairly fairly quickly and uh, transient is a little bit different uh, so for that, uh, if you look at the wind loading scenario, we are trying to use all the clever uh, approaches available and possible to reduce the size of the domain, pre-computing what we can, and, uh, and trying to make the simulation faster. And what we are aiming for is a turnaround time of about of a day for one wind direction and hopefully way less, even like half a day or something like that. Oh, wow. And we are trying, obviously, to have it scaling across the whole cluster linearly so we can run multiple directions at the same time. Are you typically looking at running lots of different designs or lots of different conditions on maybe a single design? Both, really, both. So if you have instances where the design is fixed and you try to test uh, different uh, conditions or you have instances where really you know what's the worst case scenario and you really run an optimization study for that particular condition is optimization up there is optimization a big part of the workflow or is that something that's coming in i think it is coming in more and more Again, uh, sometimes we are a little bit late when it comes to adopting new techniques in our field, I would say. A joint is really, you know, just starting to be used. And uh, even though there are applications that could have a massive, massive, massive you know, benefit from it. But uh, optimization is, is uh, something that people are looking at more and more and more. But because most of the time, the problems involve uh, so many aspects when it comes to physics, you have a lot of variables, a lot of parameters, and uh, sometimes it's not always easy to reduce the model to something that is uh, relatively straightforward to, to optimize. Yeah, we're not just looking at drag or downforce or lap time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we do have that easy in the race cars. What can't you do at the moment that you'd really like to be able to do? I think at the moment, I would love for everything we do to be faster and hence cheaper. Because the it's quite interesting to see how much more you can do and how much you can actually optimize, uh, say, a building if you are able to do a lot of simulations early on. And and what I've seen in, in the years is that the more computational power we're getting, the busier we get, because the, the faster our response is, the more engaged the design team is, and the more we can get this back and forth, oh, you know, uh, ideal scenario where we are actually working together, trying to do, trying to develop something that works for, for everybody. So I think for me in the future, speed is something that I would really love. Do you see that coming from more horsepower or more fancy techniques? I think horsepower is something I'm a bit disillusioned when it comes to that at the moment. I'm, okay. I'm getting I'm getting uh, I'm generally seeing new chips uh, apart from like a few options 
uh, not scaling that well when you start to go uh, like and, and run on a lot of cores and and actually it, it seems like that uh, probably cheaper would be the best way forward and that's so like will become so cheap that even if they are not scaling that well it's still okay oh okay interested i, I see i see systems scaling really well across nodes but not that well inside the node itself yeah and I think it's, it's a known issues. Is that a kind of memory bandwidth bottleneck type? Yes, yes. Yeah. And it's something that is there. We know we know it's there. So I wonder what is going to happen in the future if we someone will have to rethink the codes altogether to be able to scale and adapt to this new, the new architectures of the future that will come up when it comes to hardware, or if we can just use the same stuff we have right now and just launch it on. on multiple uh, um, like a million cores or something like that running options in parallel a million cores <laughs> that would that would be so nice wouldn't it yeah absolutely yeah yeah um, you mentioned some sort of future tech earlier on in the interview but i mean is there something coming down the pike that you have seen that you think yeah yeah that's going to have a big impact i've seen a few people trying to develop interesting gpu codes okay. uh, i'm um, not not uh, just you know the usual lbm codes that you see running on gpu something right. a little bit fancier uh, these could be really interesting also i order i mean at the moment is a bit academic or maybe uh, let me rephrase it i'm pretty sure some people do some super interesting stuff in the industry and they're using them but in our industry they're really you know uh, an academic in the academic realm yeah but they could they could be quite interesting i, I would say that again is this new is these two topics like strive for speed and i would say that uh, gpus seem to be quite interesting when it comes to uh, getting the maximum you can get out of your hardware but at the same time, you know, trying to see if there's something clever that can be done with the code. So maybe you don't have to run with 100 million cells, but you can get away with uh, 30 million and, uh, you know, use I-order schemes and hopefully have something that runs faster. Is there any interest in things around AI or that sort of thing that you've seen? Yes. Yes. I think it's, it's, it's a very odd topic in our industry. It's been used widely across uh, multiple fields. Okay. I've I've seen it, uh, and and I had colleagues working on it uh, quite a bit. It's it's quite uh, it's quite uh, interesting what you can get uh, out of uh, AI if it's trained properly. And uh, again, I mean, it, I've I've seen people that are aiming to use it just to speed up the code, but I also seen oh, okay. like approaches where you where you just try to you know predict the simulation itself, the results themselves, and uh, and it's not bad. So I think again, uh, it's going it's going to come down to like what the limitations are when you start to throw different geometries or something that is very different compared to what you train your your AI with. Have you got a sort of guess as to which direction it might go first as to whether it's going to go towards, you know, replacing a simulation or just um, more intelligent solver parameters or more intelligent initial solutions and, and speed up? I would say that in our field, because speed is really king, I mean, uh, 
the in the ideal scenario designers would love to have an engineer showing up with just a laptop on a workshop and they would sketch new ideas and thing and you would you would just quickly sketch it on your laptop and press a button and get the results back immediately you know oh, so it's it's not like that now then <laughs> i would say not really there there is a, a few cup of these in between yeah. <laughs> in between the press of a button and i have results for you we are fast but not to that point yet and uh, so that that is something that i think in our industry we always have an appeal like get immediate response and obviously for that ai as a as a tool that completely replaces the simulation could have potential but then i see other industries where maybe you know accuracy is super important like others maybe i mean on the top of my mind probably automotive for example maybe for them it would be and this is just a wild guess it would be easier to try to speed up a code that has been already validated and they that they trust so they they know that they are getting the results they want out of it and they're just trying to make it faster and if that whatever whoever will be first i think will probably have an impact on everybody else so if the guys from other industries are faster in making a standard code uh, actually more efficient and, and and running faster using ai then probably i'm pretty sure we will use it ourselves and if if someone comes up with a very clever way to completely you know predict the flow field then you'll take anything as long as it's faster yeah, as long as it's been validated and, and it's fast, then I'm pretty sure I'll definitely have a look at it and try to see what I can do with it. Awesome. I could talk about this stuff for ages and it is fascinating. I want to thank you for uh, taking the time to come and tell us about it, Stefano. Um, really appreciate that. If um, people want to, I mentioned LinkedIn earlier, but if people want to get in touch with you, is, uh, is LinkedIn a good place to connect? Yeah, that's perfect. Yes. Awesome. Thanks again for taking the time, Stefano. I really, uh, really appreciate it. No worries. It was great to be part of the show. Thank you for doing this, Robin. It's very, very interesting. Yeah, no worries.